This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Keane, who is the founder of Dig Data. So, Rachel, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Carl. Looking forward to the session. Yeah, no, me, me too. Me too. The pleasure is is all ours. So where we always start, Rachel, is by asking our guests to give themselves, a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and journey up until this point in time, if you would be so kind. Yeah, sure. So um, I graduated from Nottingham Trent University in 99 with a uh, bachelor's degree in fashion and knitwear. My actual dream job was to be a buyer for Caramillion because I figured that was the only way that I'd probably afford their clothes, as well as doing <laughs> specialising in beading and embroidery. And when I came out of uni, I thought I was going to rule the world like we all did, right? And uh, after a really successful placement year, which seemed to go to Hong Kong for a few months, um, I wanted to be a trendy buyer. And I got lots of interviews and I smashed it. The telephone and the face-to-face, but who knew it? There was a mass test, which I failed miserably, um, on ratios. And I guess... Maths was the subject that I'd avoided pretty much since secondary school and, and got my grade D um, and thought that I'd get away with it. And I guess that then saw me apply for every role known to man that was linked to kind of fashion. Ended up doing a field sales role, which I despised, but it it taught me the kind of crash helmet period. So I'd go into um, sort of shops that I was selling to um, who'd had a relatively poor sales rep before me. And I used to sort of put this crash helmet on and take a kick in basically and do my best to try and improve relationship building and that was a real that was a hard 12 months that was a hard gig but I guess it set me up for the next part of my career which then saw me work in industrial recruitment for a couple of years before I had my daughter um a few years later I worked as a uh, data analytics recruitment consultant for 12 years so that was from 2009 which was a real privilege because it gave me a real kind of insight into how 
the industry has evolved significantly in terms of tools, in terms of where how data analytics is seen, um, and I guess all the different breadth of uh, roles and skills that are out there. And then, of course, um, I was the co-founder of Women in Data for six years, and then I moved on um, and started the Data Inspiration Group and the Dig Data Program in July 2021. Right. So a lot to unpack there. So I'm looking forward uh, to this, and obviously, as both coming from the same world and I guess trying to tackle the same problems um, in terms of recruiting for teams and also trying to inspire the next generation of, of future talent into the industry. So um, just give us a little bit of insight then into Dig Data and the Data Inspiration Group and I guess, you know, ultimately the purpose and, and really what you're trying to achieve. Okay, so the Dig Data program is essentially a virtual work experience offering for students across secondary and tertiary education where we work with our partners to create small bite-sized um, career challenge projects um, where data is used to solve a business problem. And I guess the reason I started it at secondary school, uh, for me, that's for when education really started getting real. You know, there was a consequence to not handing your homework, you had to get to school on your own, you know, and a very short amount of time, you know, five years, you've got options, you've got GCSEs, you've got further education choices, and lots going on. And I think as adults, we kind of forget that. We forget what it's like to be, be in that situation. Um, and I think for me, what was really important is that I kind of passed the baton on and was to inspire young minds, really, on really exciting kind of problems that are being solved every single day. Um, the different skills and employability skills that we could develop in young people to really prepare them. Um, you know, not necessarily, I guess, for somebody that's definitely going to be an analyst or definitely somebody that's going to be a data scientist or engineer, but actually for skills that are equally as important in every career that they undertake, right? Um, so that was that was the thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to do that kind of give back. And I wanted, I guess, um, to create challenges and problems that weren't necessarily um, echoed mass and data. You know, if we go back to being a kid and we've all been one of them, Right. We know what it's like to be a teenager, young adult, make great decisions, bad ones, whatever, is that actually it's about really trying to understand what is it that kind of, I guess, attracts these kids, interests these kids in solving problems. So we've worked with brands like ITV, for instance, when we uh, did one challenge, which was um, who should be the main sponsor of Britain's Got Talent? Cadbury's, Vodafone, Aunt Bessie, all the way through to Lloyd's when it's like, you know, who do we lend £1,200 to for the new iPhone 14? Tell me a kid that doesn't want an iPhone, um, doesn't do that. And then the next one we've got, which is soon to be launched in Unilever, is can you do Ben & Jerry's a flavour? You know, this, this sparks interest. And we see lots of different students from lots of different, different kind of backgrounds get involved and really enjoy those challenges and and I guess um kind of forget that they're using their math skills right and, and gaining data skills which is kind of what we do I mean I, I know when we talked previously you know I know that you've got um youngsters you know certainly when my daughter was little if she said to me mum I'm not going to eat vegetables any day you know now I didn't say oh that's okay can you crisp so I just cook vegetables put uh, mashed them up and put gravy on them and I guess it's a similar <laughs> It's a similar technique, really. Um, it's just trying to teach people something that they don't actually know what they're learning, but in a way they want to learn. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and again, I know we talked about this offline, but I think it'll probably um, be useful context for the audience and help us kind of narrate this uh, and, and navigate this conversation. So I also do like a lot of public speaking in universities, right? And I mentioned to you offline that um, what baffles me is that we have an industry that is constantly complaining about a talent shortage, right? Yeah. But there are 
things going on in university programs where these people would have the fundamental skills to enter the industry, yet they don't have a clue that there is this big wide world mm. of data and analytics. Um, so as an example, um, I support a program called the QSTEP, which uh, is a government backed, you know, 20 million quid a year initiative, basically social sciences faculty that's got a data analytics almost accelerator that's bolted onto to that. Um, now I go and stand in that room, you know, uh, master's students, PhD students, undergrad students, probably the most diverse room I've ever mm. stood in. Um, and these people are merely looking at the fact that they might be able to do something with data analytics, but through the lens of social sciences. So, I, you know, I'll be a criminologist, but I'll do something on the data side. Yeah. I then tell them that, you know, there's all of these brands out there, you know, they're doing unbelievable things by using data brands that you'll know and love and probably purchase products and services from yeah. it absolutely blows their mind right so um what you're doing is absolutely fantastic because i think what i realized despite the fact that it's important to still go in and speak at universities to raise the profile it needs to be tackled sooner than that because fundamentally it's too late to let them know when they're just about to graduate, right? Yeah. Because they can't make decisions that are going to help them get into the industry by by that point in time. So um love the work that you're doing. So I, I guess if we take that back then, why do you think that happens? Why do you think that there are, you know, there's, there's not a lot being done to wider audiences? Because if we think about computer science or math mm. background, they will naturally by default just get sucked into our industry because of the demand, right? But if you think about those Q-step students that I mentioned, mm. They probably won't because they don't have that traditional route of background of, you know, they did a computer science degree or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Why, why do you think there isn't more awareness at this point? Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of examples here, actually, that, well, knowledge is power, right? So you only know what you know. That's the thing. Um, and equally, you know, just as an example, when we're obviously uh, promoting our events to secondary schools, colleges, universities, et cetera, um, quite often a career consultant will go, oh, I'll let our master partner know and I'll get started. And I'm like, okay, well, you could actually let everyone know, right? You've got a central resource. And actually there's lots of people out there that have got an analytical mind, um, but to your point, have taken another subject because they feel that that's more relevant for them and that's what they want to study at the time. How many people study something and then go on to actually use it, you know, but actually have got a lot of different skills? I'll bring another example in. I was talking to somebody um, this week about a career platform and it's for, it's for students, uh, sorry, secondary school students, and it was they were talking me through it. And I, <laughs> started, I couldn't believe it. So there was a, a box, right? And it said on it, um, digital and IT. I went, right. And she did the drop down and it said data and networking. And I said, you're looking for a data company to sponsor this, but you're not going to put data on it. I said, you know, that's really key. I don't think we can change it. I'm like, I think really think you have to because it's such a big career vertical. And out of interest, um, you've also got all of these uh, job sectors related to curriculum subjects. I knew what the answer was going to be, but I said to this person, um, so where does where does it link? Oh, it's in mass. I said, right, where else? Well, um, um, well, it's a mass. I said, yeah, but what about geography and history? And what about business studies? And what about economics? And what about all those other things, right? Um, and maybe some more of the creative subjects. Because if we look at data as a, I guess, a bit of a spectrum, Okay, you, you need that kind of rock and roll star at the front, don't you? You need the storyteller, you need the person that's going to engage. So could you argue that actually a drama student or an art student could be that person? 
and have have a flavor of data right the way through to then you're going to your maths your science etc you know the history person the great analyst the person that uncovers fact argues fact etc and that's the bit that we're struggling with because you know these people are lacking information from industry about careers that are very now so they assume and people get put into boxes that's my interpretation of it so far yeah yeah i was just about to say it seems very you know trying to group people into personas and boxes that you know if you to to be interested in this you need to have done that and also just because you're good at something doesn't mean to say that you want to do a career at it you know how many young people have i spoken to that have uh you know they've been on our career panels for instance right and they've done really well at mass gcc brilliant so they've gone oh, you know what i'm going to do a mass a you know what i'm going to do a further mass one as well absolutely been bamboozled by the, the difference in level number one and then actually what's happened is that they've sort of fallen out of love with that subject you know almost overdosed on it rather than going well I sort of chose that and I didn't take another subject like history or geography or something else which could have broadened their knowledge and broadened their kind of horizons if you're good at maths you're good at maths if you're not good at maths it doesn't mean that you have to be discounted you may be just not very academically good at it. it doesn't mean to say that you're not switched on absolutely and I don't think there's probably never been a more prominent time for this now now that we're seeing all of these uh, especially non-technical roles really exactly. come to the fore, right? And and have their day, you know, the data journalist, the translator, the storyteller, all, all of that type of stuff mm. doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to have come from a computer science or stats background to, to have a career. And actually, um, you know, if I look around our community of data leaders, there's a surprising number of them come from a geography degree. Surprisingly, yeah. you know, that have reached the very top of the game that don't mm. come from a traditional math, stats, tech yeah, exactly. background. Um, you know, it's just a shame that that example's not being followed through because it always seems to be a prerequisite of, you know, the amount of times I've heard in a recruitment briefing. Yeah, you know, um, but we'll look outside the box. We won't. You don't look outside the box. We then spend as recruiters another half a day finding out people that we believe would be a, a great cultural fit and a great, uh, you know, a complement to that to that um, company or that role. And actually, they haven't come from the traditional background. And then guess what? You, you don't look at them anyway. So <laughs> you're looking for like for like, and that needs to that cycle needs to change. I yeah. think. Hundred percent. So I guess what are the what are the consequences then that you're seeing? If we kind of you know go to the very end here, and then we can unpick it and work backwards. What are what are the consequences of these things not happening or ha- not happening well enough or in the right for context or format? You know, well, what's what is what are we really seeing that is becoming the problem? Well, I think, you know, people just don't believe they're the right fit for the role. We're talking about diversity in future talent pipelines. But actually, if you if we're always putting, you know, young people and data into the maths category, you naturally go, well, I'm not any good at that, which is exactly why we change the messaging with big data. When we talk about a problem solving rather than data or maths. Um, you know, if somebody said, to me, you know, my daughter was rubbish at maths. And if I said to her, do you want to, you know, do you want to do a mass thing after school? She would have gone, absolutely not. If I said to her, do you want to go and solve a problem with Boohoo? She would have bitten my arm off and been able to do it because she would have applied it in a different way. But yet she would still argue with me about a data role. You, it's about, it's about ter- sort of changing that sort of terminology, I think, and making everyone believe that they've got one of their skills because they do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not saying for any stretch of the imagination that, you know, that's going to be suitable for every single company. But actually, there's a lot of companies out there that can be a little bit more fluid with this. 
Um, and we're just going back to putting people in boxes. And the consequence ultimately is, is that we're already seeing a lack of talent going into um, industry. There's a serious lack of knowledge. I mean, to say data is Britain's best kept secret in education is an absolute understatement. If I had 50p alone for every time I explained to a career leader in very layman terms how data is used, you know, I'd be a very wealthy woman. Yeah. Do you think then it's even, so it, it appears then this is a, a knowledge gap, an education thing between industry, educating career institutions on actually what is going on out here in the world and there's a disconnect and maybe career curriculums are still a little bit behind the times. I do. And I think there's so much chat about data science and AI. And I think that, and, and you know, and they're wonderful areas for people that are interested in it. But there is a massive um, lack of knowledge on anything else. You know, the creativity behind um, creating a campaign to allure people to come into it, the effectiveness of being able to measure that, you know, <laughs> You know, if you looked at even something like Just Eat as a business, right? How many kids know Just Eat? They know the Snoop Dogg, the Katy Perry advert. Okay. Have they, do they ever think that they're capable of creating that ad or the data that goes behind it? They know all about Just Eat. They know all about the product. They know everything else. But that's the bit of information that they're lacking and in those kind of skills. And I just think, you know, this touches on more than just a, a knowledge gap, although that is significant. There is such a, um, a problem with careers in schools uh, anyway. I mean, I was on a, a call with a, a careers and enterprise company today in one of their, um, the, the Wiltshire Hub actually, and and they have got, their their sole purpose is to go out to their network of schools and clearly this is regionalised. They go out to all of their schools um, and they talk, and colleges and they talk about resources that are available including ours of course but lots of different things that make life a lot easier for career leaders but just to put this into perspective right a career leader typically at a secondary school has a dual role so they teach as well they're on timetable they might have anywhere between three and five hours a week now let's argue that approximately we have a thousand students in um, a secondary school all right, we'd probably put a little bit more effort in into year 10s and 11s because there's a requirement for that, but it is now mandatory to start that at year seven as well. If you were to work that out, so let's say five hours would be generous, you know when you log on in the morning, probably the first hour you're tied and everything up, now you're ready to go. Now we're down to four hours. <laughs> divided by, I mean, I failed once, divided by a thousand years is not a lot of time, okay? You then, can you imagine out of that four hours, you've got a safeguarding issue, okay? So then that goes off, um, think. Plus the fact that you've got a lack of resource, you've got a lack of funding. But one of the most important things that can kibosh this as well is getting buy-in from the senior leadership team. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about kind of careers in schools, but just very quickly, they've got a thing called Gatsby Benchmarks, which essentially are eight rules uh, directed by government um, that they have to, try and adhere to so it's things like linking curriculum to careers encounters with employers and employees labor market information right sounds like it, you know that's easy it's not easy for them to do because senior leadership teams sort of post-pandemic are absolutely firefighting so to prioritize what's important getting our kids into the classroom we're seeing an increase of school refusers um alternative provisions there's something like 80,000 kids in the UK that are now home educated. And we only know about them because they've been to school and left. The kids that haven't been to school, there is no data. 
So we are now looking at a huge problem of just trying to do day to day, you know, trying to get these kids educated to a level where they get exams or some exams. So I guess when you open that kind of floodgate up, you're then going, well, actually, careers does seem quite minor when we're trying to get all these other responsibilities over the line. But we all know, you know, as adults, how important careers and inspiring young people are. So it's 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 a very, very difficult one. Uh, there's, you know, even technology. I've been into schools delivering data days where there's laptops that have got six or so keys missing on every single one of them. You know, and I've got, I've got to, you know, take my hat off to the kids because they must know the letters because they're able to type them. <laughs> Good effort, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, just the... There's just so much. There's just so many things um, that's that's a problem. Yeah, I mean the, the the funding thing doesn't surprise me, nor does the time and resource thing. I, I guess one thing that I'm not clued upon um, at all, Rachel, is kind of who's who's ultimately responsible for the students, you know, going off and making something of themselves within the educational system. Well, I guess. Well, that's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I guess it does anybody take full responsibility for that? You know, it's, there's some schools that don't have any career leaders at all. That's that's a question I don't know the specific answer to. And I think that really goes on a case by case basis with every school. Right. You've got you get some schools that are more affluent than others that would have somebody in careers that working full time on their behalf, creating all these wonderful things where there is not such a, a problem with funding. Okay, but when we're talking about technology suites that have got no technology in them or the funding to keep these um, uh, these pieces of kit up to date or repaired or whatever, it's just a cost that, you know, when you look at other things, just isn't just isn't uh, a priority. So whose responsibility is it? Is it headmasters? Is it senior leadership team? Is it the governors? Is it, who knows? Is, yeah. Then you could argue, well, the two influences in our kids' lives are teachers and parents, right? So is it the parents' responsibility? But we, as parents, we only know what we know. I failed getting my daughter into data. I don't know how you're going to get on with yours. Chaining to my desk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Although she is working in sales, so I haven't done too badly. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if I think back to my time in education, like, you know, I didn't go to a great school. I didn't go to a bad school. Um, I was probably a very middle of the road student who underachieved for all intents and purposes until I grew up and realised actually I probably should try it a little bit. Which, um, you know, I was probably fortunate that I managed to get on the path that I did. Otherwise, <laughs> um, I'd have probably been in a completely different um, environment as of as of today. But career advice, like I think one. I don't even know if it existed in two. I certainly didn't appreciate or value it. Um, no, exactly. Right. Well, even back then, I, I think my view on that was, what do these people know about, you know? Um, and I don't know whether it has changed at all since then. It sounds like it's still very old fashioned in how they approach these things, which probably, again, then doesn't help and almost lends itself to, well, yeah. what's the point? You know, d does this, career advisor in this school know anything about what the future latest coolest jobs yeah. are you know um but i guess that's a lot to a lot to do with being a teenager right and we've all been one of them so you know you could argue that if you were given you know all the opportunity in the world as a teenager would you have taken up on it because quite often as you're to your point in your later years you go mm, 
should have, you know, fucked my ideas up or, you know, really sort of pull myself around. Um, I think it, look, let's not underestimate the, um, the task of a career leader in school. You know, we're talking just about data and that's a big enough sector as it is. When you're talking about a thousand kids that might have interest in lots of different things, your careers or future and then you're trying to inspire them you know that's one big task and that requires a lot of information about lots of different things which isn't near on impossible with the amount of time so um yeah I mean careers in my day I don't know I don't think I don't think they happened <laughs> even that I just didn't show up for it. I, I don't know um but I think quite often you know you, you find your path don't you you find you're good at one thing you go to one thing go to another thing and then you know um you sort of end up falling into things but and, and I guess the the amount of sort of senior leaders I've spoken to in data that have fallen into data you know and have wonderful careers but how do we stop people falling in how do we make people you know direct them to that that's I guess that's the ask yeah the ask yeah, absolutely. What do um, our interest from your involvement in being within this school environment and kind of under the under the bonnet, so to speak? What what does data mean in education? Like, is that recognised as something that they use to drive their operation and their business? Like, is that even something that correlates and computes with you know how it's viewed outside in the outside world? Uh, honest answer: No. <laughs> So um, I think, and I know I've got many friends that are teachers, that data to them means yet another task that they need to fulfil, okay, sort of additionally to the classroom uh, kind of uh, activity. So it's, you know, as we know, attendance, behaviour, safeguarding, exams, pressure, 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 another task, another task, another task. Why would they see that as a career? Because that their experience in the main is pretty negative, isn't it? Um, why would a teacher among anybody else go, actually, you know, this could be used to do this, this and this, you know, for them it's a bolt on that they have to do. Um, no, they don't think of data as a career. I mean, I, I had uh, or have a friend that is uh, a head of history department and uh, this is a fair few years ago now. We were out to lunch and she said, uh, oh, we've been doing an open evening for six forms. Okay, cool. And, you know, the parents want to know what kind of jobs um you know these these kids can do and I said what did you tell them she said well I just told them the same as I was told 16 years ago and I, I said what was that and she said well be a teacher or go and work in like a museum or something like this and I said to her did you not did you not even think about the word analytics I said oh my god I've talked to you all the time about people that do combined degrees or history and, and you know what they're doing um no there is no kind of one plus one equals two you know there's no sort of um connective thinking I guess with that so yeah in answer to your question data is used i think is just seen as just another bolt and another chore that they need to do mm, okay that's well probably makes sense as to why the, the dots have been joined then i guess um yeah so what what can we be doing then i guess as a data analytics community that are listening to this what and obviously through the mission of, of your organization what should slash could we be doing more of to make you know to help drive this problem that we have in the right direction i think look there's a few things and i've been thinking about this this morning i think there's lots of things that we can do i think this i think it's always better to do lots of little things rather than trying to make this kind of big gesture and then it not roll out i think it, we go back to we're talking about influences in our children's lives right so we're talking about teachers we're talking about parents and we only know what we know um yeah i thought 
this came to me earlier, if you had any organization, but certainly a large organization, how many, how many people that worked in, I don't know, administration in a large organization actually be a aware of the data team be what they do um be some of the skills or some of the projects they work on i would imagine it's a little bit like you know the left hand doesn't talk to the right hand we always talk about things like bring your daughter bring your son to work day all of those lovely things could there not be a you know join that be a data body for the day right actually understand what that is that you could all quite a few people transition into that type of role because they might have a natural affinity for it they might be really interested in it but equally it's given them information in an environment they know and understand to to go back to their children or, or to advise you know younger people about about how data is being used as a, as a topic and I guess equally you could say well th- would that be advantageous to teachers well we know for, for for sure that teachers haven't got any time um but you know how many people live near a school or how many kids go to, you know, um, how many have got children or nieces or nephews or whoever that go to a school, um, offer up your time, right? Off, you know, be a governor, go and, go and uh, offer your time up for careers talks. The amount of people that we get, careers people that get let down right at the last minute, if people say they're going to do something and they don't, to go in and have a career talk and just be on hand to help. You know, I think it's small things, real small things. And, you know, if you've got, technology that you're reconditioning give that to schools okay go in and do like an overview of let's teach how to do a pivot table today you know in, in a careers week or career session every single school in the country has something going on typically around the summer term everyone could just volunteer their time to do an hour a day whatever it could be something very very small yeah 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 absolutely i think this is obviously a lot um, a lot that can can be done. My, um, you know, we've we've done things previously where we've you know brought people from our community and we've gone and visited schools and they've talked to the kids and you know I guess inadvertently that also raises the um, the knowledge of the teachers and the careers mm. people that are involved in those conversations. So yeah, I think I think there's evidently more needs to be done. I think there's there's a couple of things that I see here which probably in my opinion, are mm. the cause for why there's a there's probably not as much oomph, if you want to call it that, for want of a better phrase, in regards to getting more people doing this type of stuff. And it's that if you think about the tenure of the CDO, right, 18 to 24 months, depending on which research you, you believe, right, the, the pressure to deliver value inside an organisation is immense um Ooh. and it needs to be done pretty much instantly right Ooh. which therefore when these people are then building out their teams un- unfortunately the last people on their mind are the graduate level you know yeah. the, the entry level is we need people with whatever three five plus years experience mm-hmm. at least um because we need people you know quotation marks hit the ground running the old cliche which everyone who's listening to this will have probably said or heard or at least yeah. before right which again that doesn't lend itself to developing talent the yeah. second part of the equation is that because of because of that like the junior and entry level roles they still kind of require some kind of experience with core technology right so it's still very you know the obsession with tech in my opinion in our industry mm-hmm. is 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 overhyped right so um even entry level roles they're kind of saying we want experience with sql or python now of course the only people that have that skill 
are people that have done computer science at undergrad, right? That's that's it. So again, we're putting people in boxes, but we're you know um, we're discounting people that have the fundamental skills to enter our industry almost mm. off the bat by the way that we're teeing up and building these data analytics organizations. So um, half the time, they, these people that have this, the skills, but might not necessarily have the core competency of what the job description says, they're not going to get a sniff, right? I think there's almost a part of we need to educate those organizations about the importance of that as as well. Because I do wonder, and I'm slightly concerned, are, are they sheltered from seeing what is or is not going on in the career educational system oh. because they're not looking right and they're not looking there so why why would they be that bothered right you know what what do what can we do about that well i think you know it's one of those things you're not bothered about anything until you realize what you've missed out on <laughs> yeah right um so i guess it's that fear of loss that actually if the um young talent comes through the doors that doesn't have those particular skills actually you could be losing a, a brilliant piece of dynamite and how many again i go back to recruitment briefings of you know we can teach them that if they're a go get if they're interested in this and that how true actually true is that you know look, there's plenty of courses out there that if it was a prerequisite that people had to go on that perhaps maybe as part of the application process it could be that we need you to be a requirement of an advanced Excel with a view to have a you know an overview of SQL or Python or at least a knowledge of those things before they apply, right? So it's actually, oh, I don't have that, but I still have a chance of getting involved in this. That that could be one way of doing it. Um, you know, could you also argue because you're a computer science student, right, and you've done a module in something, uh, but yet you've got You've not applied that to any commercial project. Are you therefore more useful than somebody that's got a little bit of uh, creative thinking and nous? Um, therefore, you know, and more commerciality. I think it's a difficult one. You're dealing with people, all right, and we're not cardboard cutouts. Everyone's got a different kind of jigsaw inside of them that comes with lots of different pieces. If it is an absolute to die for, you've got to be an SQL and Python expert. Then I would suggest that you don't go for graduate recruitment because actually they're not an expert in that, and they've had, had a very academic view of those programming languages anyway. I mean, if you think about all the graduates we used to place, um, you know. They'd, they'd do the telephone interview, do the do the face to face, then they'd have to do a data task. Nine times out of ten, they'd fail it. Okay, not only on the uh, the fact that it was a data task, but equally having to present something and to actually have that, that, those kind of storytelling skills as well. So you know, it's it's a difficult one. I, I, I don't know the answer to it really. I think we need to be a little bit more open minded about it. But then again, if you start looking at, um, you know, how do you filter that then? you know, from a time perspective, et cetera, or is there something that they can put in place uh, as part of their graduate prep? We'll be recruiting in six months' time. If you're interested in working in this business, these are a couple of the courses that we expect you to have a level at. Would that work? Yeah, could, could, could work, yeah. I mean, this is something that I harp on about on LinkedIn an awful lot, right? You know, I think we, and it's certainly getting better, but we're coming to the realisation quite quickly and sharply because of you know the amount of uh, perceived failure i guess across the industry that hasn't delivered the value and the returns that we might have been hoping for that actually this one track mind that we've had of just hiring technical people has probably been a bit of a mistake right which the, it's almost then infuriating that we're still having to have this conversation that we're not widening exactly. the pool at the entry 
level. Um, and obviously, the other side of that coin is that most organizations, data teams, as you know, unless they're a, a major enterprise, they're often very small, right? You know, so they they don't have the capability, the time, the resource, the funding to bring in grads and, and train them. Yeah. Um, so they do have to go and find people that they think are further along that, the line. Yeah, get it. That that, that curve. Um, but it, it, I guess it's a case of trying to make junior talent more accessible to all companies, not just the ones that are happy to take 50 graduates at a time in some kind of graduate program. Because obviously there's only a certain number of businesses out there that are of size and scale that can do that, right? And therefore, again, we're probably not looking at needing anyone from outside the usual suspects and and subjects. Um which is which is interesting. Do do you see that the the tech well, where, where does technology fit into all this as far as interest levels? Because obviously in a world that we live in now that's completely digitized and social media mm. dominated, I, I assume that children and people in secondary school as they move through their, their kind of academic journey are more in tune with technology than anyone ever has been in history, right, as far as kind of school leavers go. Well, I mean, you'd like to think so, right? <laughs> It's not actually the reality. And I'll tell you a funny story now. I'm, I'm still laughing, but it happened in July. So oh, we did a, a date day at Kenilworth High School. And it was a, a Lloyds Bank Group one. We Zoomed them in, did this briefing. And Chris Yates and his team from Coventry Building Society came along to volunteer. Um, I'm sure he probably still wants to kill me uh, about this. But um, anyway, at the end of this uh, briefing, there was about 120 kids, roughly, uh, year 10. So roughly about 15. And I said, right, okay, cool. Let, well, let's put our hands up and, and tell me what your level of proficiency is in Excel and PowerPoint. Before I got to go to beginner, advanced, intermediate, advanced, um, one boy said, is that the green thing? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> my eyes were like a cartoon character. And I just, and the team, the volunteers who stood to my left, and I sort of sheepishly looked at them and they just looked back at me and like, oh my. Um, and, you know, that's what made the last time these kids had a touch on excel was year seven not since that point which was crazy but then i'm sure there's lots of people listening to this whose children are really really technology focused and they they're at schools that are doing it that i guess the point is there's no consistency really um so then i think it's a massive ask when you you're looking at uh, outside the kind of sql and python unless they've got a kind of interest in that um from a technology standpoint and using things like social media, using phones, using bits and pieces, little shortcuts and stuff. Yeah, 100%. You know, um, it just seems ironic that there is no sort of foundational kind of skills that are going on. I mean, Christ, even we were taught those. And that was back when, you know, dinosaurs were rolling around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. The old ICT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the massive clunky machines and stuff. I used to love it. Yeah. Brilliant. And also, you can drop it. You can drop those um, subjects really, really early on. So I wonder whether there's, you know, is there something that there should be a, a level of competency before they drop? Yeah. Out of out of interest, when, so after you're doing these day to days, do you see do you see a kind of spike in interest levels now that these students understand a little bit more about the kind of maybe commercial, you know, more everyday use and, and application? Or absolutely. You do okay, so it's not it's not a case of like we often talk about you know data being seen as dull and boring, and we need to kind of make it a little bit more sexy. Or is that still yeah. possible? 
Well, I think that, again, you know, typically we're working with teenagers, so it's quite funny that, you know, it's no real surprise that they sort of sit there, like Kevin and Perry at the beginning, like, oh, God, here we go, another day of someone talking to me, right, which always makes me laugh, and I tell you why, because it reminds me of being a kid, and, and that, you know, being at school, which in the main was quite good fun, um, and it's it's always a worry. I worry, you know, I get the same feeling every single day, and it's something happens about 12.30, I don't know what it is, there you go the penny drops and that's when you see loads of activity oh my god yeah we could do this this and this and at the end of our day days what we do after we put these kids working uh sort of teams of between four and six um that the last session of the day what they have to do is uh create their presentation and they have to deliver it at their table to a, a data volunteer and uh some of the presentations are incredible their imagination, their creativity, some of the things that they bring sometimes are really silly. They have silly um, names for their data teams and they have like quite, you know, um, unnecessary animations and stuff coming on. But, you know, that that's the beauty of it, really. Um, but actually, they've got really, really valid points and they've thought about things quite often that they haven't been sort of uh, provoked to think about. Um, which is great. And they really enjoy the day. We make sure that we award sort of four or five of those teams that have done incredibly well. They come up with merchandise, they do all those sorts of things. We do see a lot more people from those particular schools then come on and get involved either in our library resource. So obviously um, partner events that have already um, been held or indeed in our life events as well. So yeah, we, you know, we're very we're very lucky in that way. It is, it, you know, it's a slow process because there's, what, 4,200 secondary schools in the UK. So that's a hell of a lot of data days um, to do to try and inspire all of them. But, yeah, you definitely do see a spike. And I think they see the value in it at the end of the day. But the first two or three hours is always a bit touch and go. Nice. <laughs> what's, what's the measure of success for you then? Is it just having more people being involved in, you know, the, the events that follow the data days is that is that how you're kind of tracking that the needle is being moved in the right direction um well we've got a few things that we do so we've got a classroom resource that we um launched uh, last year which aligns the mass curriculum um and can be taught by any subject leader is uh, video based by our partners um and essentially fully supported with teacher notes technology non-technology etc um but each one of them aligns to a mass skill Right. So although it can be picked up by any subject teacher in the careers, whatever, after school club, it's it's particularly focused on really trying to engage young people who are struggling with that particular subject or um, can't see the point of, uh, I guess, studying, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, for instance, Facebook aligns with circles, CACIs aligns with ratios. So you get the kind of drift. Right. So for me, success would look like um, that it's a government requirement that people use my resources. I mean, you know, go hard or go home. Um, second one would be that we build a um, a community, a data community of volunteers that see themselves going out and lending themselves to data days, to career days, et cetera, where people are really sort of giving something, whether that's their time, their money to partner, um, giving us the opportunity to provide more resources that can be online to to give these young people opportunity to gain virtual work experience. Um, you know, we're working with a thousand schools directly. We're working with 105 universities. Our aim is to be 3000 schools by the end of next summer. Um, you know, we're doing well, um, but we can't do um, well unless we have, you know, buy-in either from a time, a resources uh, and a monetary perspective, as you well know, to make sure that we keep those wheels turning, we keep those students interested and keep those schools engaged. So success for me means, um, you know, a day-to-day, -day you could have 300 kids 
you inspire three people, they walk out of there that day and they're bouncing, they've had a good time, I've done a good job, right? For me to say I'm going to inspire 300 would be, you know, um, you know, difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Conscious of time, Rachel, but I guess what I wanted to finish on, given, you know, your um, history and being the co-founder of Women in Data, um, is just to try and understand, I guess, the dynamics and potential relationship there is here with the diversity challenge that we have in the data analytics industry Ooh. still currently, as we all know, the stats are um, getting better, but still nowhere near Ooh. even remotely good enough. Um, no. What is the relationship between, you know, this challenge we have with the awareness of data analytics as a potential career option within schools and what we then see transcend into industry that is, you know, ultimately a diversity challenge as well? Well, I think, you know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? There, There is a, a real problem with diversity. There's a real problem about sort of engaging young people and going through to careers and there's lots of ways that we're trying to tackle that with just the kind of language that we use and the kind of problems that we're trying to um, make accessible to young people so that they can take this on as a future career path. Um, I, I mean, we've talked about it, haven't we? Unless we've got this communication with students, communication with schools, this kind of certain things in place in terms of is it technical, is it non-technical, do we have knowledge about it? We're always going to see, you know, problems with diversity. You know, we've got a lot of... Um, young women, young girls, a lot of young men and uh, young boys that, that get involved in our challenges. And actually, you probably see more pieces of work coming from girls um, in the younger years, seven, eight, nine, uh, than you do the lads. Um, I also think it isn't just about that. It's about, you know, how we're passing that message on. I go back to the point we made before, you know, the teachers go, oh, we'll send that to the master, uh, kids. Oh, we'll send that to the such and such kids. Well, they don't send it to all of the children. OK, um, and that's why I think that we're, we're going to continue to see a problem unless the communication lines are open for everybody. Mm. Um, and that's it. We always put people in boxes. And I know that there's a big concern with um, students that are from high deprivation, high school, um, preschool meals, et cetera, which unfortunately uh, in the country now is increasing every single day, boys, girls, whatever, you know. And um, yeah, it's a big problem. I think there's there's diversity is a big problem. Education is a big problem. You know, careers on top of that is is the you know icing on the cake, and unfortunately, I think data sits within that as well. Mm, yeah. Do you think the the approach that many organisations are taking in terms of how they're thinking about attracting talent and future talent almost fuels that diversity challenge by just you know kind of honing in on our example before about just computer science students? Yeah. Well, obviously, we all know the stats there. Around, you know, the large majority of computer science students are, are boys, right? Yeah. So, what no, exactly. Happen? Yeah, again, I think it's the messaging on them. I mean, I was looking at uh, uh, a couple of companies' job specs the other day and trying to sort of give them some some advice on that. Um, and even though people, you know, they just can't sort of seem to break this mould of, I mean, if you're from a STEM background or STEM education, that would be preferred. But why? It's not prerequisite. Don't put it in there. You know, change your messaging. You know, think about the word problem solving, think about the word storytelling, think about all of those things. Actually talk about what you're going to learn when you're there, not necessarily what you need to have already um, and whether that's going to be of interest. Because I know full well that, you know, um, there's lots of things that I 
think I can do. There's lots of things I think I can't do, but actually I can because that hasn't been pulled out of me. And when you're a young person, you're not aware of those skills because you don't have the experience to do that. So that's kind of that's what I would say. I mean, I don't work with um, a lot of recruitment and a lot of CVs and things. So it would be hard for me to talk about current messaging. You'd need to talk to somebody else that's more in that space, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Rachel, look, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming on the show. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, kind of ask any questions, wants to maybe support what you're doing or you know, is interested in volunteering or giving up their time or whatever the case may be, um, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? Best way to reach me is to go onto our website and uh, go to the Contact Us page or indeed uh, rachel at digdata.online is my email address. I'd be happy to speak to anybody that's interested in getting involved. Perfect. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you very much for your time. We look forward to seeing how uh, the journey unfolds and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.